nations will rise and fall. The world will feel like it's crumbling around us. There will be times where we feel unable to carry on. Our most trusted people will hurt us. But God is still in control. God is still good. God is still providing. God is still faithful. Our God has been, is, and will be the greatest strength in our lives. We can be still because God still is. All right. Good morning, Riv. Everybody doing okay today? Excellent. My name is James. I am one of the pastors here. Very excited to be here and to jump back into Daniel 7 and 8. Now, a bunch of you have asked me about uh, the Israel study tour uh, that I uh, participated in in May. So I thought I'd start with a couple of highlights uh, to kick things off this morning. Uh, during my sabbatical, the very first uh, t- uh, couple weeks, uh, spent two weeks uh, with a group of uh, mostly college students studying the Bible there through the land of Israel. The trip was broken into three parts. Um, the southernmost uh, part uh, of the trip was the desert, and then there's the Galilee part, and then basically the Jerusalem part, loosely. We kind of moved in some uh, spaces around there. We spent the first four days in the desert. These are all pictures that I took, by the way. Uh, uh, during our trip, um, and the, the Bible often refers to this desert area as the wilderness. Um, that's southern Israel, brown, rocky, mountainous, no trees, no water, very hot, very dry. If you're out there by yourself, you would die. Um, ton of the Bible happened there. You're thinking book of Exodus, Moses wandering with the Israelites in the wilderness for 40 years, David hiding from Saul, a bunch of the Psalms are written out there, Jesus himself spent 40 uh, days in the wilderness before beginning his public ministry. We also spent five days in the Galilee, uh, which is pretty much the area where Jesus lived most of his entire life. Very lush and fertile ground around the Sea of Galilee there. Um, The the Sea of Galilee is actually a freshwater lake. It's like eight miles by 13 miles. Um, We walked the cities and the paths, literally visited the ancient synagogues where Jesus taught We slept through a huge storm that happened on the Sea of Galilee. Just incredible to follow in the footsteps of the life of Jesus. Between the desert and the Galilee is the city of Jerusalem, right right in the middle of the country there. Very beautiful city. Um, These white stone uh, buildings, um, ancient. Um, You can just kind of feel the history. Uh, Very vibrant, just bustling with people. Also very conflict-filled city. Very intensely devout people with a diversity of political and religious perspectives there. Jerusalem, of course, is an incredibly significant city for Christians uh, because that's where Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection took place. And so we walked through the Mount of Olives and into Gethsemane, and we were in the cave where it's believed that Jesus was buried. Um, Just an incredible experience. So brief commercial, Um, you should definitely come to Israel with Pastor Mark and myself in uh, May of 2023. The details are all on the website. We're doing a RIV-only trip. Uh, We've got a guy 
guide from Israel that's a brilliant genius guy that's going to come with us. Would love to have you join. My favorite place to visit in Israel is the massive Temple Mount that's located in Jerusalem. The original temple was constructed as God's house under Solomon's leadership over 3,000 years ago, 950 BC. It has been attacked, set on fire, knocked over, rebuilt, remodeled a bunch of times since then. And so to stand there under the 75-foot walls that are 1,000 foot on each side, surrounding 37 acres of space on the Temple Mount is something, it's just indescribably powerful. Now we know that since the build of the temple, that God has changed his address, right? In 1 Corinthians 3.16, it says, Don't you yourselves know that you all are God's temple and that the Spirit of God lives in you? And so God's church, his people, y'all, all of us, are now God's house. But for the ancient Jews, that was God's dwelling place. It was the place the Jews would make pilgrimage to three times every year to remember and to worship and to rededicate themselves to the one true God. Very, very high holy place in the Jewish culture. And it was this temple, this is part of our Daniel story, because it was this very temple that the Babylonians laid siege to for 30 months, beginning in 589 BC, and they were finally able to burn it to the ground, uh, along with the entire city of Jerusalem in 586 BC. It's actually pretty difficult, I think, for us to comprehend the level of devastation that the Jews must have felt. Um, the only thing I could think of that's even comparable is 9-11. Like as you're watching the towers go down and the horror of all that, imagine then all of the people of New York are then taken into captivity and slavery and exile, like across to a foreign, like up into some strange, that, that's what happened here. In fact, Je Jeremiah authored a, a prophecy about these events, foretelling these events. And in that prophecy, he said that King Nebuchadnezzar would make the Jews an example of horror and scorn and would eliminate the sound of joy and gladness from them. The whole land would become a desolate ruin and the nations would serve the king of Babylon for 70 years. And that's exactly what happened. Thousands of Jews were taken captive and they were exiled from Jerusalem about 1,700 miles east over to Babylon. That's the same distance uh, on foot, by the way, they walked as it would be if we were exiled from here to Salt Lake City. It's a long way across the Middle East, which sounds like not that much fun of a walk. That's our context for the book of Daniel. And our friend Daniel here was one of those exiles. He was ripped from his homeland as a teenager, indoctrinated into a new culture, taught a new language, given a new name, serving kings that weren't dedicated to the God of the Bible. And yet not only did Daniel survive, he thrived. He remembered God. In fact, last week, you may remember in chapter 6, we saw three times every day, Daniel would turn and face the window that looked out toward Jerusalem and he would get down on his knees and give thanks to God. 
He remained faithful to God in the little things. And then God granted him the favor of this unique ability to see and interpret dreams and visions. And that was an ability that was very coveted by the various Babylonian kings. And so as a result, in the midst of these horrible circumstances, Daniel was able to gain influence and point people toward God. Now, chapter 7 represents a significant pivot in the book of Daniel. Chapters 1 through 6 were mostly history with some prophecy sprinkled in. Chapters 7 through 12 are mostly prophecy with a bit of history sprinkled in. Daniel moves from sharing about dreams he interpreted for the kings to sharing his own visions that God interpreted for him. In fact, Daniel 7 through 12 contains four or some scholars say five or maybe six different grand prophetic visions that God showed to Daniel and then God's interpretations of those visions are included as well. So today we're just going to look at the first of those visions. I'm going to read the first chunk which is the vision itself, and then we'll walk back through that, and then I'm going to read the second chunk, which is a little bit more of the vision and then the interpretation of it, and then we'll talk a little bit about what that means for us today. Here's Daniel chapter 7, verse 1. It says, In the first year of King Belshazzar of Babylon, Daniel had a dream with visions in his mind as he was lying in his Bed. Now, I want to stop there. I won't do this much, but uh, real quick. Does anybody remember what happened to King Belshazzar? Anybody know? He died. That's right. He, 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 uh, uh, he was the king who threw the big celebration with the gold and silver vessels that they had stolen from God's temple. And remember, the hand came writing on the wall, like, bad idea, King Belshazzar. And he was killed. And so Daniel is recalling a vision he had about 10 years ago when he writes this down. He's reaching back a little bit into his memory. And he wrote down the dream. And here is the summary of his account. Daniel said, in my vision at night, I was watching, and suddenly the four winds of heaven stirred up the great sea. Four huge beasts came up from the sea, each different from the other. The first was like a lion, but had eagle's wings. I continued watching until its wings were torn off. It was lifted up from the ground, set on its feet like a man, and given a human mind. Suddenly another beast appeared, a second one that looked like a bear. It was raised up on one side with three ribs in its mouth between its teeth. It was told, get up, gorge yourself on flesh. After this, while I was watching, suddenly another beast appeared. It was like a leopard with four wings of a bird on its back. It had four heads. I wasn't kidding. Four-headed leopard. And it was given dominion. After this, while I was watching in the night visions, suddenly a fourth beast appeared, frightful, I'm sorry, frightening and dreadful. 
and incredibly strong with large iron teeth. It devoured and crushed and it trampled with its feet whatever was left. It was different from all the beasts before it and it had 10 horns. While I was considering the horns, suddenly another horn, a little one came up among them and the three of the first horns were uprooted before it. And suddenly in this horn, there were eyes like the eyes of a human and a mouth that was speaking arrogantly. As I kept watching, thrones were set in place, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. Now, the Ancient of Days is another name for God. So this is like the game-changing moment of the vision right here, right? God just showed up and sat down, right? The Ancient of Days took his seat. His clothing was white like snow, and the hair of his head like whitest wool. His throne was flaming fire. Its wheels were blazing fire. His throne had wheels. A river of fire was flowing, coming out from his presence. Thousands upon thousands served him. 10,000 times 10,000 stood before him. The court was convened. The books were opened. I watched then because of the sound of the arrogant words the horn was speaking. As I continued watching, the beast was killed and its body destroyed and given over to the burning fire. As for the rest of the beast, their dominion was removed, but an extension of life was granted to them for a certain period of time. I continued watching, which was a good idea here, for Daniel in the night visions and suddenly one like a son of man that's Jesus was coming with the clouds of heaven he approached the ancient of days and was escorted before him he was given dominion and glory and a kingdom so that those of every people nation and language should serve him his dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away and his kingdom is one that will not be destroyed. Wow. I feel like, honestly, that I should read all of that again, and that by the end, you all should be standing on your chairs and shouting, and just because this is unbelievable what Daniel sees is going to happen one day. Now, if you've been following along in the series, um, this vision that Daniel had may sound familiar to you. Remember this guy, that Pastor Noel, uh, this fancy uh, rendering of Nebuchadnezzar's dream in chapter two that we had. He saw a tall, dazzling statue, which is, we'll pretend like this is one of those. And then um, the gold head represented Babylon, the silver chest was Persia, uh, the, the midriff area, the bronze was Greece, and then the legs there of iron were to represent Rome. Each represents a different kingdom. This was in Nebuchadnezzar's dream in Daniel 2. There are lots of perspectives, I think, on what these four kingdoms might be. I do tend to agree with Pastor Noel. I think that, that, that this is what these, these four uh, parts of this statue uh, represent. And it's interesting. We can look back right, and see these kingdoms, right? We, we know that Babylon and Persia and Greece and Rome, but Daniel was here. He wouldn't have known any of that was coming. It would have been very hard to predict 
that Greece, for example, was going to raise to that level of power. And so that's why it's prophecy. It was history written in advance. And Daniel's own vision that we just read through here is equally prophetic. He sees four beasts, right? And that's interesting. Uh, Many scholars note that Nebuchadnezzar sees these four kingdoms and he sees them as strong metals. He calls them colossal and dazzling. Daniel sees these same four kingdoms, but he sees them as beasts, frightening and dreadful. And so the lion represents Babylon. It's the same as the gold. And then this is the bear that is to gorge on flesh that we read that. These are going to fall apart because the the kingdoms fell apart anyway. And then... (laughs) There's the four-headed leopard right there that is to represent Greece. Uh, I think it makes sense. And then the fourth one that was mentioned there actually um, is never identified. We know that it had 10 horns, that it was different from the others, that it's incredibly strong and terrifying, but it doesn't say what kind of animal it is. So we just have this thing. Um, I just called it thing uh, because we don't know what it is. Is it a dragon or a demogorgon? We don't know what it is, but it's down here. That's the Roman guy. And of course he's gone now too. So um, what Daniel does say is that he kept watching and uh, what he saw next was incredible. Thrones were set in place. Now, I, this is just the way my brain is. I'm like, who set up the thrones? Like, whose job was that? We're like, Phil, Gary, God's going to show up tomorrow. We need some thrones set up. I don't know what happened there, but the ancient of days, God himself comes and sits down with brilliant white hair and head, literal fire flowing out of him in every direction. I wonder if it got really quiet or maybe there was this deafening explosion of worship because it said there were tens upon tens of thousands of people, people in every direction, as far as the eye can see, serving him, standing in front of him. Now the name Daniel, does anybody remember what his name means? Anybody know? God is my judge. The court was convened. In the vision, the books were open. The beast, we're going to talk about him in a second, was killed. And it says these kingdoms, all of them, they, they uh, lost their power. They were gone. They went away. And then Jesus himself was escorted in front of the Ancient of Days. Now, did they embrace they give a high five. You know, what, what was that? I would love to see the YouTube video of that moment, of the Son of Man being escorted in front of the Ancient of Days. Did the thousands upon thousands of people fall down in worship? We don't know. What we do know is that what Daniel saw happen in his vision will one day happen in reality. Some of it already has. Jesus Christ will have dominion, glory, and a kingdom that will last for eternity. And every people, nation, and language will serve him forever. Okay, second part, verse 15. As for me, 
Daniel, my spirit was deeply distressed within me. No kidding. Uh, And the visions in my mind terrified me. I approached one of those who was standing by and asked him to clarify all this. Now, I want to know who this guy is, right? There was, was it one of the 10,000 that was, you know, just kind of hanging around there? Was this an angel? Daniel comes up, taps him on the shoulder and is like, what, what's going on with this thing? What's, what, tell me about this. And so it says, he let me know the interpretation of these things. This is what this random guy told Daniel. These huge beasts, four in number, are four kings who will rise from the earth. But the holy ones of the Most High will receive the kingdom and possess it forever, yes, forever and ever. Then, Daniel says, I wanted to be clear about the fourth beast, the one different from all the others, the extremely terrifying one with iron teeth and bronze claws, devouring, crushing, and trampling its feet, whatever was left. And so he asked the guy, what's going on with this beast? And so this is what the guy said, verse 23, the fourth beast will be a fourth kingdom on the earth, different from all the other kingdoms. It will devour the whole earth, trample it down, and crush it. The ten horns are ten kings who will rise from this kingdom. Another king, different from the previous ones, will rise after them and subdue three kings. He will speak words against the Most High and oppress the holy ones of the Most High. He will intend to change religious festivals and laws, and the holy ones will be handed over to him for a time, times, and half a time. But the court will convene, and his dominion will be taken away to be completely destroyed forever. The kingdom, dominion, and greatness of the kingdoms under heaven will be given uh, to the people, to the holy ones of the Most High, the kingdom will be an everlasting kingdom and all rulers will serve and obey him. This is the end of the account. As for me, Daniel, my thoughts terrified me greatly and my face turned pale, but I kept the matter in myself. I didn't tell anybody about this, right? <laughs> what was I going to say? And so this section of Daniel is um, where our concept of the Antichrist comes from. Antichrist is exactly what it sounds like. It's one who is against Christ. In the vision that Daniel had, there was this one horn that was unique, right? It separated itself. It had eyes. It spoke arrogantly. It was bigger than the others. It sort of took over for the others. And the interpretation that this person gave to Daniel there is that before the ancient of days arrives and takes his seat on the throne and renders judgment, there will be a period of time when things get really bad. That's what he says, right? Things might get bad in some of these other kingdoms, and then this is going to be like next level. Now, for how long? It says the holy ones will be handed over to him for a time, times, and half a time. So a little pro tip for your next road trip when your kids are in the back seat and they're like, how much longer till we get there? You can just say time, times, half a time. That'll throw them off the scent right there, you know? (laughs) Actually, most scholars believe this means three and a half of something probably three and a half years. There's a lot of theories out there again. Some scholars are like, there's going to be 1,260 literal days of this kind of 
rule of this Antichrist. We don't really know. Either way, we know that after this awful season, Jesus wins and his holy ones get to be with him forever, right? The court will convene. The dominion of the Antichrist will be taken away. He will be completely destroyed forever. The kingdom, dominion, and greatness of the kingdoms under all of heaven will be given to Jesus and his people forever. And that's the end of Daniel's account of his first vision. Daniel is A, freaked out, and B, he doesn't tell anyone what he saw. Now, we don't know why. If he didn't have anyone to tell, or he wasn't sure what to say, or if he, I I don't know why he didn't do that. I'm glad he told us right? A short time later, he has a second vision, like two years later. That's chapter eight. In that one, it refers to the time of the end. So more of that one. And then the final two that we're going to be covering in the next couple of weeks are more post-judgment type prophecy, right? Stuff that hasn't happened yet. That's after the judgment day. Um, The one in chapter eight, it's really fascinating, literally gets explained to Daniel by the angel Gabriel. (laughs) It's like, this is a pretty big deal. I better send Gabriel for the explanation, right? That one is so disturbing that Daniel ended up sick in bed for days after hearing it. We'll talk more about that in the coming weeks. So what does that mean for us today? I think it actually means everything. And I'm not speaking in hyperbole. I'm not exaggerating. Uh, Preparing this message had a pretty significant impact on me personally. And and the reason is because I think we, and I'm including myself in this we, have a tendency to live our lives with most of our focus on me here now. What am I doing today? How do I feel in this very moment? What's the most comfortable pathway for me right now? And as followers of Jesus Christ, we must not live this way. What Daniel 7 shows us is there is a much bigger narrative. When we think about our purpose here on this earth, about how we make decisions, about how we treat others, about how we engage the world, about how we prioritize our time and our resources. What is true and what will be true matters most. Think about what we know for sure from Daniel's vision and the interpretation. Number one, God has a master plan and it will come to pass. Number two, certain earthly kings and kingdoms might seem too powerful to fail, but they're not. Number three, sometimes, not always, but sometimes things that seem like a big deal aren't. And number four, one day Jesus Christ will rule and reign over God's kingdom with his most holy ones for eternity. And I think an understanding of and an unwavering belief in these realities is what enabled Daniel to live the way he lived in the face of unspeakable adversity. And I want to be careful. I don't want to minimize the adversities that we face. I'm not saying that having this eternal perspective makes those things any less 
hard. Hard things are hard. But they do, this perspective does put them in their correct context and give us the bigger perspective we need when we deal with hard things. Daniel's life was not what he expected. Anybody else? Right? It was not what he hoped for it to be. He was displaced from his home. I bet he never saw his family ever again. His city was destroyed. He was taken captive and enslaved. On the other side of the world, there's no way he was thinking, this is how I want my life to unfold, right? No. And yet he remained faithful to his God, consistent in his character and influential in this very, very difficult culture. In Hebrews chapter 11, uh, Daniel is recognized for his faith alongside um, a bunch of other Old Testament women and men. And the writer of Hebrews describes the mentality these, Hebrew, uh, these heroes of the faith had that enabled them to endure. This is Hebrews chapter 11, verse 13. He says, these all, all these men and women uh, who have passed away from the Old Testament, these all died in faith. Although they had not received the things that were promised, but they saw them from a distance, greeted them, and confessed that they were foreigners and temporary residents on the earth. Now those who say such things make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they were thinking about where they came from, they would have had an opportunity to return, but now they desire a better place, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. Did you, did you catch what he's, uh, is being said there? One of the marks of an enduring faith is the recognition of the reality that this earth is not our home. We're foreigners and temporary residents here. A better place awaits a heavenly one in God's eternal city. And what's more, even more so inspiring to me about Daniel and these other people mentioned here is that they never even got to see the Messiah. They only saw from a distance. It was only something they were promised that they hoped for. They desired a better place. They never received the promise and yet they still died in faith. How much more ought we maintain and live out our hope knowing that the Savior Jesus has already walked the earth. He already lived a sinless life. He's already given his life for us on the cross. He's already conquered death on our behalf. The, the son of, of man that Daniel saw in his vision is alive. <laughs> and everyone who believes in him will have life in his name. I love how Paul says it here in Philippians chapter 3, and then we'll close in prayer. This is uh, Philippians chapter 3. Uh, this is verse number 17. Sorry, I lost my spot here. Philippians 3 verse 17 says this. Join in imitating me, brothers and sisters, and pay careful attention to those who live according to the example you have in us. For I have often told you 
And now say again with tears that many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their stomach. Their glory is in their shame. They are focused on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven. But our citizenship is in heaven. And we eagerly await for a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. He will transform the body of our humble condition into the likeness of his glorious body by the power that enables him to subject everything to himself. Friends, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, this earth is not your home. You're a citizen right now of his heavenly city in his eternal kingdom. Now, you don't live there yet. You're visiting. You're an ambassador. You're a foreigner. It's a little, it feels a little strange here. Should, right? This isn't our home. Our focus in the meantime, while we're here, must be on our eagerly awaited Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, and not on earthly things. Look up, right? We tend to go through our days and our lives head down, me here now. And it's him, and it's then, and it's forever that should be our focus. Jesus will one day return and will be, we will be transformed. Let me pray for us. God, may you give us the strength and wisdom to imitate your son Jesus in the way we live our lives. And may we imitate Daniel in the consistency of our character and the wisdom uh, of our words uh, so that we can live in a way that points the kings and kingdoms and residents of this earth toward the one true and only King Jesus who will rule and reign forever. May our lives be um, used by you for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.